Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, and welcome to the Dark Web Vlogs, where I'm sharing the experiences I've had working with clients on some of the most outrageous deals being run over the dark web. This job and story I'll be sharing with you comes from a very distant past, the times of King Arthur and the trusted wizard Merlin. Merlin, a man known as a wizard, sorcerer, and great magician, the king's prophet and advisor. People question, did he exist? Was he real? Well, in this job, we get some answers to that as we learn about how he came to be and then how some of who he is still exists today. They call me the ghost. I'm ex-CIA and now a dark operative on the dark web. I've worked a lot of jobs. And today is a story about the magic, the wisdom, and the power of days long gone. and allows us to think about if we had those powers now. Take a listen and enjoy. This job has to do with something sensational and also has to do with something that is part of each and every one of us, our belief system. I mean, we all have our own internal beliefs and we also have the things that we believe about the world around us. Why do people choose to believe or not to believe the things they do? Sometimes you believe something because it makes sense to you, right? The sun will go down in Texas every single day. You believe it because you know it to be true. And these facts oftentimes comfort us, keeps our world reliable. Sometimes you want to believe something or you know you let yourself go there because the fantasy of it is appealing when really the idea of any fantasy is fundamentally absurd. Still, it has an appealing escape factor. I mean, just look at all the fantasy movies and the books out there right now. I mean, superheroes are cool. And then there are those things that get put out there and so many people believe it that you just accept it. But how do these things even get started? 
you know, you have the Mandela effect, believing something happened or happened in a certain way when it did not. And the phenomenon of this happening with mass amounts of people with no real explanation. Then you have the calculated delivery of misinformation. Put simply, it gets out to a lot of people and a lot of people are just duped. We may see this in a company or in the news, almost hurting people into one direction. They get so into it that they don't even question it and don't seek out any other knowledge around the subject. And then you have the things that dangle in front of us. And no matter how much fact there is around it, mass amounts of people do not want to believe it. It's a pure refusal to believe. And usually there's been a calculated plan around that as well, pushing for a certain response. At the end of the day, though, at some point, the truth always seems to come out. It's delivered, realized, or flat out told to us and proven to be true or false. And I mean, I think we've all seen or heard of these things. It's just the way the world works and has for a very long time. But what about those lies, illusions, or false facts, whatever you want to call them, that just keep on living? I mean, usually when we say things like, the truth always comes out, we usually mean fairly soon, or, you know, sometime coming up, not centuries later. Well, the story around this job was, and is for that matter, the latter, the story that won't quit. Not only was it told over and over again, it grew. People added to the tale, and so much so that how it got started, who the real people were, if there were any, all seemed to get lost over time, turning the whole thing into legend. The mystery kept it alive. I'm talking about the Arthurian legend. This legend is comprised of many versions of the king and Merlin, as well as other characters involved with Camelot Wars and other events. And this happened over time. Merlin almost became an add to the king, an extension of King Arthur. Merlin was the great wizard who handed the kingship to Arthur with a sword. And people took it and take those stories still. They accept them. They like the tales of these men who lived by a code of honor and chivalry. You know, and then you add Merlin, the man of magic. The history of the tales themselves is enough. And to know that they were created out of many men make the whole thing desirable in a way where you just want to know more. But what if I were to tell you that the idea that they were based on real men is more than you thought, that during one of these times, during a great phase of these tales, that Merlin was real, brought to us by a group that was feared by many and that ruled in many ways, was actually hunted because of who and what they were. Still, our man Merlin was someone great. So if I were to tell you that, would you believe me? Well, that was the challenge I was faced with when I received a request that almost seemed to bring me into old folklore right then and there. How could one man be in such a frenzy over something that happened hundreds of years ago? Well, according to him, hundreds of years ago is yesterday and something of legend, mystery, and fascination is here today and needs to be protected. So let me get into the request. It comes in and it's coming to me from Belgium, you know, Far away, this doesn't raise any flags because, I mean, I get requests from all over the world from all types of people and situations. But it's what I start reading that gets my attention. It's from a man, I'll call him Aiden, and he tells me that he is part of the modern-day Druids. I mean, he just gets right to it. A society, if you will, where the past meets the present. He explains that they are a special group 
that sure follow some of the intentions of their ancestors, but have changed and morphed. They say they've improved. They've rose up and adopted their practices to the new world of today. He tells me that over the years, and we're talking hundreds of years, their sub-society has been the keeper of many things, including artifacts and writings that hold the power and the key to what they are. What they have in detail is not public knowledge. Only those with the honor of being chosen to be the keepers know about what all is there. But Aiden goes on to explain that there has been a theft and a big one. Someone on the inside has done the ultimate betrayal and has taken one of their most sacred items. And it's something of great power and in the wrong hands could do some major damage depending on how it was used. He's putting in this request to see if I could join him in Brussels so that he can better explain what's going on. He tells me that since many of their items are not known to the world, he can't go through traditional channels of reporting this theft. And to entice me, he tells me that should we meet, he will be sharing one of the great secrets of Merlin, the wizard. Well, I've definitely heard of Merlin and the Druids, and I am curious what he has to share that might be something new. He adds that we would have to move fast, though, as the theft was just discovered that evening. I mean, he's sending this request in at one in the morning. Brussels time is when he sent it. We all had just taken a short break from jobs. We do that every now and then. And I am ready for something interesting. So I decide to take the chance and I organize the flights to meet Aiden. Instead of going alone to meet Aiden, I have Frankie and Jagger come with me just in case we take the case with this theft and we really do need to get started right away. So we get organized and we get over there and we're ready to meet up with Aiden to see exactly what this request is all about. For the meeting itself though, I do go alone. I meet him at the Impasse Saint-Jacques. It's just an alleyway actually, but it's a great place to meet and talk in private where it's quiet. I find him leaned up against the stone wall smoking a cigarette. He invites me to walk. There are some people out there, but for the most part, we really do have the place to ourselves. He's a clean cut guy. He's in a fitted shirt, black jeans, has a scarf on, and he's friendly. He thanks me for coming and he tells me that he wanted to meet somewhere out of the way and away from others. So here we go. You know, what the heck is going on exactly? And what he tells me is a reach. I mean, for anyone, but it is also possible. He gets right to it. You know, there's not really a way to beat around the bush with these kinds of things. And there's really no reason to. So he flat out starts to explain, you know, how he's a modern day Druid. He told of how they never really did go away the Druids, you know, from centuries past, but they were quiet, almost underground. They went through many phases, especially in the more recent years. But to sum all of that up, I can just explain that, you know, in the 60s, the idea of Druidry was starting to show up in a more modern day sense. You know, just the idea of them was coming back around with more popularity. Even John Lennon mentions them in one of his songs, Mind Games. That came out in the early 70s. And then by almost accident, in a rebellious move, it all took more of a hold in the 80s. And Druidry really became a modern day form of spirituality. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And you may or may not be familiar with the Druids at all. They first appeared in history thousands of years ago. They were an elite, knowledgeable group, advisors to some and leaders. You know, there were priests, statesmen, judges, teachers. They had medical professionals, lore keepers. They also dealt in ancient wisdom. They were wise men, wise men who grew even more powerful than any king. And they had access to other worlds. Now, a lot of that sounds good. But then they also engaged in human sacrifice. I mean, whether punishing a criminal or needing simply to provide an offering to the gods, people were sacrificed by drowning, hanging, and burning. I mean, the Druids were known for their mystery, mysticism, and magical practices, which, like I said, sounds appealing in some ways. But they were also feared. And because of their intimidation, they used that. They could go anywhere and roam freely. Well, over time, they became a legitimate threat to the Christian religion, and it only brought them persecution by the Romans. They even started a hunt for the Druids for the purpose of taking them out and removing them as a threat. And it got pretty crazy. You had Druids walking around disguised as regular people. The regular people were walking around disguised as Druids, each wanting the cover of the other. I mean, in a nutshell, it was getting messy. And here is where Aiden gets into and explains how this all ties together with his problem. So, okay, it was during those messed up days that the Druids came up with an idea for survival. Remember, these were wise men. They were smart. They also had powers. And really, I have to say that what I find out from Aiden next was pretty darn genius. They would create a mythical figure from a real man who would serve them by diverting their enemy. This man would become Merlin. He would spark curiosity and amazement in the eyes of the people. They could put him right in the face of others while they got things done. They saw this as a chance to save themselves. And now remember, the Druids, on top of being the elite smart guys, were also magical. They were known to do many things and influence many outcomes. But what if they got their best healers and other great minds together to combine strength, to create something powerful, something they hoped would be unstoppable? It just might work. They could use their powers to create a great Merlin. And so these great minds did get together and they created this talisman for their new Merlin. He would have it on him at all times. It was made up of beads and a large crystal. Each bead would provide a different piece to his powers and the crystal would provide a mix of mystical strength that he would need to pull everything off. I mean, this was a con. It was a scam and it was a good one. This Merlin provided the smoke and mirrors tactic that they needed and they created him practically right in their own image, which would go unnoticed at the time. As the harsh resistance to them heightened and the actual Roman hunts for them began, they needed a solution and they found one. And in the end, Merlin was to be the ultimate Druid. As people tried to stop the Druids, they were at the same time enchanted by Merlin. It was working perfectly. The real stories of Merlin would come to life and they would spread stories of how this great Merlin met the Lady of the Lake, learns of his powers, and it turns him into the greatest sorcerer of all time. He would collect treasures and use his abilities. And then he and the great King Arthur would go on to lead a kingdom, something that would 
live on as legend, even way later down the road. Well, anyway, the point to all of this is that the work they did, Merlin, the magic, according to Aiden, was just this cover, right? And it was, in fact, one of the greatest cover-ups of all time, being when it was. I mean, look at what came out of it years and years after all of this. It was brilliant. Well, that talisman is now an old artifact from those days of Merlin. And they had it, the new druids, in protective storage. And it was that talisman that had been stolen. There were some other items too, but they would be useless unless these guys could complete their mission with the talisman. Unlike the image of the druids of old, a group that was seen as practicing evil rituals and believing in sacrifice, you know, they were enemy priests who were feared. The druids of today practice druidry as a path of spirituality. Some would even call it a religion, you know, while others consider it to be a set of beliefs to live their lives by. They accept each other as equals and wish to live in peace and harmony. It's pretty simple. The tools and items of magic used by those that came before them all that time ago have been saved, the ones they could get, and then preserved, but they're never used. Those things are for a time that is past, and that level of manipulation and trickery, magic, is not to be used in the world today. It, in fact, goes against who they are now. But, as there always can be, there are the bad seeds, and the one who has taken this talisman also has some written pages on how to use it and how to pull out its powers. Now, while Aiden's headquarters is located in Brussels, in Belgium, he is certain that this person or persons would be going to Tintagel Castle in Cornwall, and that's in the southern UK, south of Wales. They're going to one of the locations where the heart of the Arthurian legend lies to be as close to old Merlin energy as possible, where they can use the talisman and feed off that internal energy and get control of the powers that are just beyond their fingertips. If they do make it that far, that's when things could get extremely dangerous. The way this group has kept their sacred items, it sort of reminds me of the Vatican, you know, and how they have their archives set up. Like a job I did for them, this was also a hit from the inside. You know, someone who went sour a while back turned to the dark side and planned this attack on their own. I asked Aiden why they're even calling me, though. I mean, if they know what's going on and how to stop it, you know, catch the thieves before they get too far and take back what's theirs. Why aren't they going in themselves? But Aiden explains that should they have found out about the theft a little bit sooner, they definitely would have tried that. But now, these guys are on the move, and it's no telling how far they've gotten. And if their destiny is Tintagel Castle, they could be there right now and already have moved things along, and it could get quite dangerous, something they are ill-equipped to handle. So they wanted to call in more of a professional who they felt they could have confidence in to get the job done. Because the plan would be, while they're in Tintagel, they will partake in an old druidic ritual with the hopes of resurrecting Merlin once again in this world, their way, and in our world of today. Their plans after that are unimaginable. Some heard them talking about some of this, but they kind of thought that they were just spouting off scenarios, you know, the what ifs or, hey, what if this happened? But now they know that they meant it, you know, hindsight. They were planning this all out right in front of them. Nobody knew, nobody realized. So really, these guys are on a hunt for Merlin's energy and legacy to help bring out the powers and abilities of that talisman. Take this job and we'd be on the hunt for them and we would have to move fast. 
I think about it for a little bit, talk to my team, and I tell Aiden that we will take the job. You know, after a bit of downtime, I believe that we're more than ready for a job like this. Aiden gives us as much detailed information as he can for us to study and review along the way. And Frankie and Jagger and I pack up all the things we brought with us and we take off immediately that same day. We learn that they know that this guy, and we'll call him Sean, also took what is believed to be Merlin's invisible cloak. Along with that, he's taken his staff, supposedly the last staff ever used by Merlin. It's long and wooden, the tip has a crystal. And by taking that, they know that they are intending to relight the powers in that as well. Sean is 39 years old. He's been a member of the modern day Druids for seven years. Came to them when he was looking for something new, a new way to find himself, as people do. They tend to find groups to latch onto, hoping they can ride into a new way of living by trying to be, you know, one with those around them. Aiden said that Sean always did seem to have a hard time, but it seemed that in the last couple of years, things with him were changing for the better. Now that they know what Sean has done, though, they credit his improved outlook to the fact that he was planning this sort of getaway and that he saw hope in his new path back to his crooked ways. Instead of being a loyal member to the group, which very much supports finding your individuality, but not this way, he was using them. Okay, well, we fly into the Cornwall airport. That's the one closest to our destination. And someone saw notes of Sean's a while back mentioning Cornwall. So again, it's just another fact to help back up that, that we're in the right place. Once we land, we load all of our items into this SUV that we have arranged for us. You know, we need something bigger. We need to have tinted windows, you know, the works. We get into town and we just start some detecting. We'll see if there's anything that we can find to put us on Sean's trail that could help us determine if they're even in Cornwall still or if they've already left. And if they did, maybe we can find out how long ago. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and apply. See website for details. It's evening when we get there, so we still have some daylight time, and we use it to our advantage to move about the town just a little more quickly. We hit every hotel and restaurant, you know, just everywhere we can think of where we, they might have made their way through, you know, stopping for necessities or food, things like that. Although we don't find anyone that can for sure identify Sean, there is someone that checked into one of the smaller hotels under a different name, though. But the picture we showed them and the description of how Sean is seemed to jive with what the man behind the desk remembers from one of their visitors. And, you know, this took a while. It's not like we just walked into town, found this place, got the information, and we're done. This was actually one of our last stops. You know, the sun's been down for a while now. We had all fanned out at this point, and Frankie is the one that actually got this lead. So we all meet over at that hotel to get any details that we can. It would appear that Sean did have two people with him, and they stayed there for three days. They were never there, though, during the daytime, and the hotel manager just remembers that every time they came back, they looked very worn out. They would always say that they were hiking, but it didn't really make sense since they never would mention where they were or how it was or anything about their day. That really wasn't typical of their customers who were excited about what they did that day in their outing. They did check out that morning 
uh, that we showed up and the manager hasn't seen him since. They did not have a car though, he noted, while they were staying at the hotel, but it appeared that they did rent a big black van that morning and that's how they left. Well, after all of our searching that evening, this is our best bet and it seems to make sense. Why exactly they waited three days to go to the castle, we cannot know that for sure, but that's okay and it's actually better for us. We can only assume that the people that this guy remembers are the people that we are looking for. So we take the lead, we get into our SUV, and we keep going. And I mean right then and there, because we need to stay on the move. Now to get to Tintagel from Cornwall, it's about 42, maybe 60 minutes, depending. You can only drive so far. You get to this old church, and it's dark, but we're still going to have to get out, and we go on foot. And we don't see it at first, but after we get out and we're kind of looking around, we do see a black van off to the side. It's like it was parked out of the way on purpose. This has to be our guys. And so we go. We have our headlamps to help guide the way. I mean, we are going a little slower. We can't really see what's out in front of us too far or what's out in the distance. You know, we always, in something like that, you want to be cautious. You can't see if someone is coming up behind you or from the sides. So we just take it kind of slow and we're looking all around all of the time. And, you know, if we had a daytime view of where we are right then, we would see green and rock and the ocean. You know, we could look out onto the Celtic, and if we could see far enough, we would see Ireland. It really is, you know, beautiful country out here. Just like so many places in the world, it's unique to its location. This area where we are is a tourist area, but, you know, of course, there's no tourists there now because it's nighttime. Pieces of the castle, it would appear, have fallen into the ocean and are long gone. But, you know, in the daytime, you can see more of it and you can imagine what it was. I have been there in the past as a tourist several years back. So even though I can't really see it at that time, I'm there. I'm familiar with what it is. What we will be walking into are a lot of parts of a fallen castle, basically. And what that means is that we're sort of entering a maze. Some of the walls are waist high. Others are above our heads. And that means there are a lot of places to hide. So we have to be careful that we don't accidentally stumble upon our people we're looking for, or run into them, but we do need to carefully find them. And just to give you a little piece of history here, this place was pretty brutal, this castle. So, you know, it had three different barriers. And if they were being invaded, they could just keep retreating back into the next barrier. And as they did that, they would attack their invaders with stuff like boiling oil and big boulders. I mean, just those things alone uh, would be pretty hard to get out of if you were coming in and having that come at you. It's a pretty brutal place, like I said. But now it's all broken down, just a lot of history to think about. Well, anyway, we have to walk a ways, but we do get to this place and we start our exploring. We separate, but not too far from each other. And the longer we're there, the place sort of takes on the air of creepy. I mean, there we are. We technically cannot confirm who we have just followed to this place, if anyone, we're on the edge of the ocean, and the only people that really know where we are exactly are back in the States at the warehouse. I usually like to leave someone on the ground at our base when we travel, but for this trip, we were a bit limited. And I would have left one of the guys, but I felt it best that we all go. But okay, I mean, we're looking around this place in the dark, and I'm starting to get a little frustrated because it doesn't seem like we're really getting anywhere. And I stand up on this rock, and I just start to look around. You know, I turn off my headlamp. I want to see if there's anything out there that I can notice, you know, that might have to do with why we're there. I don't see anything until I look down. Down by the water, I see light. I see a small fire. This has to be them. 
We need to, as stealth as possible, get down the side of this cliff and down to the water where those guys are. And so we start our hike. And this is something that actually we didn't expect to be doing, but we always do try to be prepared with our foot gear and clothing, you know, for anything. And it's helpful now as we try to climb down this rock wall and not slip and fall. And we almost make it down without incident. But then Jagger loses hold. He's above me and he actually falls into me just enough to impact my own grip. So for a couple of seconds, we don't move because, you know, I need to see what I can grab onto next and Jagger's doing the same thing. We don't have our headlamps on either because we don't want anyone to see us. So we're just going by the moonlight. This makes it kind of difficult. And if we can't get a good hold, we both could be at risk for sliding down this thing and who knows what would happen then. Frankie is down a ways just below where Jagger and I are clinging onto. I don't want him to start to climb back up to us. I mean, he's the strongest of the three of us and so should we start to fall, there maybe could be a small chance that he could do something about it if he stays where he is. While Jagger and I look around at any options we have, looks like there's only one that makes real sense. Unfortunately, it involves Jagger stepping and putting his weight on my fingers, which I have gripped onto a small edge of rock. The only direction I can go is down, and he has to shift himself to get over the next hold available to him. So we just have to go for it. I mean, it's painful when he steps down onto me. I have to admit, you know, I'm pretty much wanting to scream at that point. Jagger's boots are heavy and they're rugged and they're grinding into the knuckles of my fingers. But we need to do it all quietly. We need to do it smoothly. So, and although this is not ideal pretty much in any way, it did work. And Jagger is able to get himself stable again. You know, my hand is on fire, but we get it together and we just have to continue. We work our way down to the bottom. My hand is hurting. I can see it's starting to bleed. But we take position behind a giant boulder in the sand and then we just get down on the ground and we break out our night goggles to scan the whole area just to see if there's anyone moving about away from the fire in any other distant area, but we don't see anyone. Looking back to the fire, we see what we expected, which are the three people. We recognize Sean and we recognize the other two from the pictures that Aiden showed us. And I'll refer to them as Brooke and Steven. So if they're sticking to the fire area, we need to see what all they're up to and try to gauge how far along they've actually gotten. Their fire pit's small. It's not really all that cold out. Uh, looks like they're just using it really so they can see. Next to the small fire pit, out a little bit, is the staff. And this thing does look pretty cool. It's carved wood, very tall. At the top, we can see the crystal Aiden told us about, and it's being held in by the wood that surrounds it, almost like fingers holding onto it. Looks like little branches almost. It really was pretty impressive. We also see two bags, duffel bags, and they're on the ground. Sean has a book out. And although we're not close up enough really to see what it is exactly uh, that he has in his hand or hear what he's saying, we know that he has the notes about the Druid rituals. And we'd have to figure that they're already into their process of pulling out the Merlin magic. We're going to have to move in. And the time is now. We each have our little packs with us and we take out what we need. We leave our headlamps in case we need to run or get something quickly. And then we ditch the packs for now since we really don't see that they have any weapons, which could make sense because they figured they'd be alone. But then again, I would have expected they would have a few more people here in the first place. You know, people watching the sidelines. And this sort of shows me that they're inexperienced and a bit unprepared. 
with something like this, you'd want to be ready for anything. And they are here hiding out on a small beach, you know, thinking they're going to pull out enough energy to change the world. And there's just the three of them. I mean, this thing is definitely way over their heads and in no way should they be able to finish what they have started. Anyway, since we don't see that they have any weapons or anything, actually, we just bring over our pepper spray. We keep that with us. We don't want to physically harm them because we want to be able to bring them back to the druids and let them do with them what they choose. We're here to get the artifacts, not apply the punishment. So armed with our spray, we fan out and we get into position around the fire so that we're all you know, in equal parts around it, we move in. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Because they have no one on the lookout and they're concentrated near the fire area, everything on the outside is black to them and they don't see us coming. Taking them down is easy enough, actually, at least at first. There really wasn't much they could do with the surprise attack, but they still have everything they were working on and those things come with surprises. What we do right then starts off smoothly. We separate the three of them from each other and we pull all the items that they have out on the beach and we get them secured. We line them up against the rocks on the side of a cliff and everything's feeling pretty good. You know, we open up one of the duffel bags. It has the cloak in it, the one that supposedly can make you invisible. We also have the staff, which was already out in center for us. And then in another bag, we find the box, the decorated wooden box that holds the beaded talisman. Only the talisman is not inside. We look back up to Sean, who is sitting in the center of his two buddies, and we ask him, where is it? And he's looking down at the sand, but when he looks up at us, and when he looks at us, you know, this time, he looks different. His face isn't changing shape and he's not turning into something or someone else, but he just looks different. He has this mischievous look to him now, kind of like he's a grown-up who looks like a kid who's up to no good. And Brooke, she's just looking at us and then she's looking at Sean. I mean, clearly she shouldn't even be here. I mean, the girl looks terrified. Her hands are tied together at the moment, but she panics. I mean, she scrambles and she, you know, does her best to crawl off to the side. And when she gets enough away from Sean, she starts yelling out to us. And she says he has the talisman, you know, that he already has done the rituals and got far enough to pull out some of the energy, the powers used by the great sorcerer Merlin. She's just yelling out that Sean wants to be Merlin. Only he's not going to help anyone get to the top like Merlin supposedly helped Arthur. He wants to be at the top. Then she just puts her head down and she leans over her knees and she starts sobbing. I mean, the girl is a total mess. Jagger goes and stands by her to kind of keep an eye on her, but she doesn't really look like any kind of threat. Not right now, anyways. Our focus now turns back to Sean and Stephen. Frankie and I take sides. I go stand by Stephen and Frankie goes and stands to the side of Sean. And I just tell Stephen that, you know, if he tries to make a move, he should really think and believe that I am faster than he is. And he just doesn't even say anything. He sort of just puts his head down too. I think he looks more tough than he actually is. And actually in this whole situation, it looks like Sean recruited people probably because he just needed somebody. 
Who knows if he really was even thinking of keeping them with him in the end. But then we have Sean. He's definitely up to no good. Well, Frankie tries to move in a bit, you know, get a little closer to him, but then he stops. He's frozen in his tracks. And then Sean starts in with this low sort of laugh. And then all of a sudden the fire that's behind us blows up into this much larger flame. And Frankie can't move, but I turn around to look at it. And then when I turn back to Sean, he's now standing and his hands are free. Now we could have a situation on our hands. The flames behind us are rising high now, and there's this small mist moving in, and it's suddenly getting very cold. And the cold air hits the cuts on my hands, and it really starts to sting. And I look down, and now the blood's just dripping off my hand. So I just grab onto it tight, and I'm trying to think quick of what to do next. Well, I run back as fast as I can, and I reach for that book that Sean was reading out of. And I'm looking through it page after page of these notes, but... To me, it's all gibberish. I don't know what these things mean. I don't know what they do. In the meantime, I'm looking back up to Frankie and Sean, and I can see that Frankie is starting to tremble a little bit. It's like he's going stiff. Sean is very concentrated on Frankie, and it looks kind of to me like he has to try really hard to be creating the effects that he's having on everything. And I can only hope that that will actually work in our favor. So I'm scrambling through this book and flipping every page. And then Brooke calls out to me and tells me to turn to the sayings of Merlin 20. She tells me that the first 13 go with each of the treasures that Merlin kept close. Those are the 13 powers that Sean concentrated on first for the talisman. But that's as far as he got with the talisman. But the staff, she says, they worked on that first and the rituals were complete on that one. But all Sean has now is the talisman, which is no good from that point on. That's as far as he got. So I turn to Merlin 20 in the book and it's called The Drain. And I read the first few lines and I realize that this could work. This spell, if you want to call it that, will drain its victim. I'm guessing that if it's used correctly, it will drain Sean of all of his abilities. I can only hope that includes the extra powers he pulled out from Merlin. But then I'm looking around because I haven't been bestowed with any of these 13 powers. I mean, right now in this situation, I'm just a normal person. I'm a regular. I have no special powers of any kind. Even if I read something, how is this going to work? But I'm all about options and I just start scanning the area for anything that might stand out to me. Then I see it, of course, the staff. The staff is an extension of the talisman. I run back and I grab it and Sean notices me. I can see he's about to focus on me next, but I just grab the staff, I point it at him, and I start reading. And slowly, I can see that Frankie's trembling starts to pass. He starts moving his fingers as if he can feel them for the first time. He starts rolling his head like he's cracking his neck. I also notice Sean. Sean is staring at me as if he's seen a ghost. And for a second, you know, I think to myself how true this all is. The new and resurrected Merlin was probably nobody special back then. It was the items that were blessed and given the powers and energy to do big things. But the allusion to the people was something else. Well, now I also have one of the items. And thanks to Sean, hopefully I can stop Sean. Well, the mist starts to lift and the large fire seems to be shrinking down now to its original size. Stephen is just staring up at Sean and uh, Brooke is still just to the side, only now she's just covered her eyes. I keep on reading. 
as I get through it, I see that Frankie is freed from whatever had a hold on him. And he turns back and looks at me. He doesn't look very happy. I mean, you don't just stop Frankie in his tracks and expect to come out of it very easily. He's about to move in, but I hold up my hand to stop him. I'm almost done with this reading and I want the chance to finish it so that we can hopefully be done with any more surprises. I only have a few more lines to go. Then I close the book and I jam the staff in the sand. Keep a hold of it as Frankie moves in to Sean. Sean has gone almost completely limp, although he's still standing there. He had false powers and now he's caught. So now we go through all the items as Frankie holds Sean back and we make sure that everything we're supposed to get is accounted for. We get the talisman back and it looks like everything else is there so we don't waste any time. We secure these items for travel and the guys and we hike back up the cliff and it's a rough hike. I mean, this time we can use our headlamps which makes it a little bit easier but it still takes us quite a while. We all pile into the SUV and when we get into service, I get a hold of Aiden. And I tell him that we'll meet him back in Brussels. We'll keep an eye on the guys and keep them in control until we get there. I assure him of that. When we get there, Aiden doesn't have me meet him in any off to the side place. Instead, he has me go to a church. It's a church that had been abandoned that the Druids have now purchased. And we get there and we find that they're all in the basement, this large basement of this church. So we bring the guys down there and there's this large group waiting for us. Brooke is mortified. Steven, it's like he's just stunned. He doesn't even say one single word. He doesn't make a sound. And Sean, he just keeps his head down. You know, he doesn't want to be seen and who would blame him for what he's done? It reminds me, you know, of how on TV you see someone that, you know, they arrest criminals and you see them coming in and out of court or something and they're covering their heads with jackets or their hands. It's kind of like that. But he was here in front of everyone in person, and it is here that he will have to face them. The group as a whole doesn't realize or know, and will never know, probably, what it is exactly that Sean took. The higher-ups simply take the items from us and they disappear. All the group does know is that they took sacred artifacts from the time when all this began, a time that they were trying to change for the future. They were items like a Bible or rosary might be to a hardcore Catholic. They just know that the items were important and they meant a lot to them and their well-being. They set us off to the side while Aiden and a few of the others speak to the crowd, explaining to them that they can now move forward in a safe and secure way and continue their mission to live life freely with acceptability and equality. And then they call us up and they present us with this cloth. It's a hand-sewn cloth. It's white and what's on it is what they call the world tree. They tell us that it represents their roots and mankind overall, and the union that they believed should be between all of us. They explain that to them it's a symbol of peace and that it is peace that we have brought back to them. They wanted us to have it. It was sewn by one of their oldest members and she is the one that actually carries it over and hands it to me. We of course accept the gift with gratitude. When the ceremony or meeting comes to a close, we're escorted to the back by Aiden. And this is where we... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Close out this job. They have what they need. We are not druids, and it's time for us to go. So we say our goodbyes, and we get on our way and head back home. I have to say, this was a very unique job. In one sense, you can take it all and look at it as if we saved the world from yet another evil that was about to be put upon us. However, you could also look at it from the perspective of the attempt. It was yet another attempt at trying to rebel against who we are. What was Sean planning on doing with all of that power? Maybe Aiden will get it out of him and get some details. But in all reality, would he have even been able and ready to hold that power? These powers, this magic, was meant for a certain time, a time in our history, a very long time ago. There's no place for such a thing now. We could maybe equate it to something like the nuclear weapon. I mean, at what point does it become too much power? Does it really do anyone any good? The druids of today, at least the group I met, do not at all represent what the druids were seen as in the past. But this incident does show us that how the druids were seen in ancient times, their intentions, still may exist in some of us, maybe many of us. But at the end of the day, there's no place for it. Nobody wins. And there was a lot to this job. You know, it's all summed up in about 30 minutes now. And, you know, back at the warehouse, I really got to thinking about this job. And now as I'm sitting here telling you about it today, it makes me think of the job, sure, but it actually makes me think of you guys and what it must be like to hear about these jobs, you know, be on the other end. Because what I realize every time I do this is that I just can't give all the details and hearing the story is obviously different than being there. Of course it would be. You know, sometimes I almost wish that I could just take a few of you with me so that you could see how these jobs are in real life. I mean, these stories aren't something that I can share with video and pictures and things like that because these people, all they don't care that I tell some of the things about them and their stories and the big deals about them, they can't be divulged here. And I think that you guys realize that too. I do think about it though, but we're in real life. And what I do isn't, you know, like a Disney ride or something where you could just tag along for fun, unfortunately. I do think, though, that you'd appreciate the hands-on perspective of what it's like out there. I mean, this job was a big job. It can only be simplified in a story like this. But, I mean, just taking what happened here was a big deal. You never really can mess with these items from our past. And when they're items like this that held power, things that you could run magic through to make things happen, you really don't want to mess around. I used the genie in the bottle comparison in my preview because I think that really shows how we think of things today. We might even see Merlin's staff, for example, as something fun to have. And we can imagine the things that we would do with it. But what we don't really think about, what we don't realize and appreciate a lot of the time in today's world is how powerful these things actually are. The world was very different back then. It was rough, rugged, and brutal. 
And the things that they created and came up with during those times were fitting. But compared to them, really, we're soft. We're not really equipped to handle things like that, nor is it really necessary, or at least it shouldn't be used in our ordinary lives by people not prepared to use them in the right way. I think the outcomes of what we could do with something like that would be very surprising and very overwhelming in real life today. But we want the powers oftentimes because we're ignorant. And this job shows how much we as humans haven't changed in some ways. Look at all the people at that time and over the years that still question the magic of Merlin. They questioned his work with the king. They questioned if he was a real person. But as we learn, the joke's on us. Put the shiny thing in front of the people and you can get them to do what you want. Go in the direction you want. This trick or illusion has been used on us and those around the world many times over. But I have to admit, this was one of the good ones. Still talked about today, questioned, and the confusion around it is something that so many are out to solve. Maybe with things like this, it's just more simple than we think it is. You know, accept the unbelievable. Accept that maybe something we don't believe is really something we just don't want to believe because in our little world, it doesn't make any sense to us. You know, if it's not possible in our little world of technologies and the luxuries afforded to us, we would just rather turn the idea away. Who knows? Either way, with this job, I was just glad to have had the chance to be a part of getting everything back where they needed it to be so that things didn't get completely out of control. And that's what a lot of these jobs are. I mean, sure, sometimes you're getting something that somebody really wants. A lot of times you're getting something or helping someone with something that they need. And then there's those times that you're doing something that really just needs to be taken care of. And this was one of those jobs. And now it was done. And what we would go on to do next, well, that would just depend on what requests came in. I hope you enjoyed this vlog. Like, subscribe, and turn on your notifications so that you know when I post next. Thanks for listening, and until next time, and I will talk to you all soon. And okay, that's a wrap. See you all next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.